Well, at the beginning of, God, of the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, right before that first sign, we get this really neat scene. It's interesting. Look at this. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. We're talking about John the Baptist. He's got two of the people who've been following John. And when he, being John, saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. John knew what was going to happen when Jesus sacrificed himself eventually for everyone and for their sin. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And when they say, Where are you staying? They're not just curious about where Jesus is staying. They're not just interested in his house or or whoever it is he's staying with. They want to know Jesus. They want to get to know where he is. So if they spend the day with him, they can see him the next day. They want to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, come and see. And see they would. See they did. Not only where Jesus was staying, but they would see so much more through the life of Jesus. They would see their lives shaped and transformed by Jesus through signs, through miracles, through teaching, through power, through conversion, and through resurrection. Throughout this series, we're going to see a lot of this. We're going to see these realities as we explore seven significant signs in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is largely about a journey. It's really kind of simple. It's about a journey. And we as readers of this gospel, we get to witness people coming to faith in Jesus. We get to witness the increasing faith of people who are seeking God. And if you're here, if you're joining us online, if you're seeking God in these moments, maybe you're early on in the journey, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for quite some time, but you're continuing to seek God, then I think this series is going to be helpful for you. You're going to get the chance to see people in these stories come to faith. And in the process, my hope is that your faith would increase in the same way that theirs did. Just one day after those two disciples asked Jesus where he was staying, Jesus encountered Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's kind of famous. He's famous for being the guy who put his foot in his mouth right before he met Jesus. He was that guy. Right before meeting Jesus, Nathaniel is told that the Messiah was Jesus of Nazareth, this person that they'd been looking for, that Jews had been anticipating for hundreds of years. He was Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel said this, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nazareth was this tiny town. It was known for absolutely nothing. It was a place that nobody would expect anything great to emerge from. So Nathaniel's really just expressing what everybody thought. What good comes from Nazareth? Nathaniel was a skeptic. He was unsure, right? It's not like this is Jesus of Rome or Jesus of Jerusalem or Jesus of Alexandria. Name any big city today and you would think maybe somebody's going to emerge from there because, you know, there's a lot of influence that comes out of big cities. But nothing came from Nazareth. He was a skeptic and maybe that's where you're at as well. I don't know, maybe you're tuning in online and you've never joined our church before and you're a skeptic. If you're here in person as well and you're like Nathaniel, you're skeptical. 
Nathaniel had good reason to be skeptical, and you probably do too, and so you're more than welcome to be here and to be skeptical, to join us in these moments. My invitation to you during this series is the same as Philip's invitation to Nathaniel. Come and see. Nathaniel was surprised when he followed Philip. He came and he saw and he knew immediately that there was something special about Jesus because Jesus told Nathaniel that he'd seen him while he was still under the fig tree before Philip had called him. It's kind of a weird comment. And I don't know why Jesus seeing Nathaniel was so special. But there was something really important to Nathaniel about Jesus seeing him under this fig tree. He really did know Nathaniel. And Nathaniel responded by declaring his faith in Jesus. He said, Rabbi, you're the Son of God, you're the King of Israel. Nathaniel in that moment was convinced. A skeptic had come to faith. But Jesus says something interesting in that moment. And I think it's because Jesus knows the hearts of people. He knew the heart of Nathaniel. He knew the heart of Peter. He knows the hearts of the disciples. And he knows our hearts. Everybody's heart is kind of the same. We need to come and see. We need to see something that Jesus does again and again. And it's a, an important part of our faith growing. Wherever you're at in this moment, it's important to come and see that God is at work in Jesus. Our hearts are kind of fickle. It's easy for us to drift. So we need to come and see God at work in Jesus, especially in the early days of our faith development, like Nathaniel, like any of the disciples. So Jesus responds to Nathaniel, and he says this, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You'll, you shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's talking about something that'll happen in the future. Maybe you're here and you're just curious about faith, and maybe you're giving faith another shot. I'm not sure, but I encourage you to keep coming. Show up each week, especially during this series. Because the Gospel of John is all about you getting the chance to journey with people as their faith grows. Nathaniel's faith is going to grow. He's going to see greater things than that first encounter with Jesus, and you'll see greater things as you continue to witness the work of God in Jesus. In fact, you're about to see one of these greater things that Jesus was talking about in John chapter 2. We see the first of seven signs. A sign is something, as you know, it points to something outside of itself. It tells you something really important, like this. And I know all of you know what this means. Moose crossing. Of course it means moose crossing. People in the States, they wouldn't know what this means. But here in Canada, absolutely. Or, or this sign. I mean, you see this everywhere, of course. It's pretty important, right? Stop here. Chaos might ensue if people didn't stop where they're supposed to. Maybe you've been to a country where road signs aren't really followed. Anybody? You've been to one of those countries, road signs aren't really followed. They're just suggestions. I saw this in Egypt. Ehab is here. In Cairo, Ehab. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's absolute chaos. Everybody driving, they know the unofficial rules of the road. So somehow it all works out. And somehow you're safe. 
but the official signs are totally ignored. I think there were technically lines painted on the road, but you would never know. It was absolute chaos. Signs are important in life if we pay attention. But whether or not we pay attention doesn't actually dictate whether or not the sign is true. We may not pay attention to the moose crossing sign, but that doesn't mean the area ceases to be a moose crossing. And to ignore it might mean that we miss something really important. So let's not miss, let's pay attention to the sign that Jesus gives in John 2, 1 through 11. It's going to be up on the screen. If you have your Bibles and you want to join that way, you can do it that way as well. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivity. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremony. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you've kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So there he was. We might call him party Jesus, which is not usually how we think about Jesus. Let's be honest. But there he is, he's celebrating at a wedding with his boys and with his mom. So you know things are probably not too crazy for Jesus. Mom is there. And these celebrations, they were often a week long, right? Nowadays, you've got the rehearsal, you've got the rehearsal dinner. The next day, you've got prep for the wedding, pictures, wedding ceremony, the reception, you know, the whole deal. People do a lot of planning for their weddings, but when all is said and done, it's kind of like 36 hours. Right from the day before, some of those events through to the wedding, oftentimes it's done in that amount of time. But that's not how they did it in Jesus' day. This was a feast. It was this massive celebration, and it was expected that wine would be provided for the entire week. To be the host in Jesus' day, to run out of wine, that was egg in the face. That was a huge no-no. That was a huge embarrassment. And this couple had run out. And Jesus' mother, for whatever reason, she feels responsible. We don't exactly know why. Maybe she's related to the couple. Maybe she knew that Jesus had some ability to help the situation, and so she approaches her son. Whatever the case, she tells Jesus the wine is all gone. Jesus' response, it sounds sort of funny, almost offensive, right? If I told my mom, if I addressed my mom this way, she would not be happy. Dear woman, This isn't my problem, is basically what Jesus is saying. He doesn't even say mom. He just says woman. And then he seems to separate himself from what's going on. What Jesus says here is important, and it's actually not meant to be an offense at all. He's separating himself from his mom. 
his role is changing, right? He's no longer under mom's authority. He's under his father's authority in heaven. He says, my time has not yet come. The one who determines when Jesus' time has come is the father in heaven. And though Jesus' time hadn't fully come, he still respects his mom and he turns water into wine. You know these moments, right? Your kids are 16 to 18. Maybe you were between the ages of 16 to 18. There's some separation happening. Maybe at at, at 18, you go off to university, college. Maybe you're working. There's some separation that starts to happen as you become an adult, as you're no longer under the authority in the same way as mom or dad. That's what's happening here for Jesus. There's some separation that Jesus needs to communicate to mom. We're going to continue the story in a second, but I want to highlight something really important. The first of Jesus' miraculous signs, it's actually not about healing somebody born blind. It's not about raising the dead. It's not about something incredible in the way we might think about it. It's about something relatively mundane. It's about turning water into wine so that hosts wouldn't be embarrassed. So that mom would be respected and so that people could continue to celebrate at a wedding. Of all the first miraculous signs that Jesus did, this one's kind of mundane. But what Jesus reveals about himself is his care for what we might also consider mundane. It's kind of just the normal stuff of life. Water to wine, the wedding celebration continues. The mundane parts of life, they matter to Jesus. The things that you might think are mundane, the things you you might think Jesus doesn't care at all about, they actually do matter to Jesus because people matter to Jesus. Sometimes we get this picture of Jesus like this. Yeah, he cares, but, but he cares about those who really need to be cared for. Those who experience poverty and hardship, who have major health concerns. Fill in the blank. We tend to make Jesus dramatic. And there's no doubt that he does care about people in those situations. There's no doubt. But he also cares about people who are living in the mundane moments of life, the regular stuff. He cares about you in what seems like the mundane monotony of being a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad. My wife, Emily, stays at home with our two kids, and, you know, she sometimes experiences Groundhog Day. Yeah, there are some people who are like, yeah, we've experienced that before. We've been at home with the kids. We get it, especially during the pandemic and especially during the winter months. All this is, is, you know, it kind of builds up for my wife. Jesus cares about those mundane moments. And he wants to be part of them. He wants deeply to be part of my wife's life in those moments as she raises kids. To my three-year-old daughter, it really matters that she drinks from a particular cup, right? That she, that she goes to bed with her particular stuffed bear. That she wears very particular PJs to bed. And as a dad, I can show her love by getting her that particular cup by making sure she goes to bed with that particular bear and that she puts on those particular PJs. And this happens every single day, every night. It's the same thing. The PJs might change, but the order is the same. It's pretty mundane. 
It's the normal stuff of life, but as a dad, I want her to know how much I care about her. And that means caring about what matters to her. And I think that's what Jesus is communicating here. He cares about people at that wedding, and so he cares about what matters to them in those moments. Jesus revealed himself in the mundane, but it's not just love that's displayed in the mundane, it's abundant love in the mundane. The six stone water jars that Jesus used to turn water into wine could hold between 20 and 30 gallons each. So on average, 150 gallons of wine. For you Canadians, that's 568 liters, which would be 142 of these bags. You recognize these, right? 142 of these, right? So if you're joining us and you're not from Canada, we bag our milk here. Yeah, it's a strange thing that I discovered four years ago when I, when I moved here, but three bags in here constitute four liters on average, right? 142 of these. Hard to imagine even, right? Hard to imagine that much wine. It's a lot of wine. Jesus doesn't just provide a little bit. He's providing a ton. It's not just enough for probably one more cup. He provides an abundance of wine for the celebration. It's not just love displayed in the mundane. It's abundant love in the mundane. We sometimes think Jesus is sort of cheap, I think, that he's kind of miserly. Like imagine those moments when you're eating a meal at the dinner table and your dog is sitting there just quietly, maybe not so quietly. I don't know what your dog is like, but you give him a tiny little bit and he continues to sit there waiting for more because honestly, that little bit of food that you gave him, it just wasn't enough to satisfy. It was enough to make him want to sit there begging for more. I wonder if we think Jesus is that way. He's going to give a tiny bit of love and grace. Like it's just enough to to kind of keep us sitting there patiently and maybe a little painfully waiting to see if he's going to be nice enough to give us a little bit more. That's just not Jesus. In this moment of turning water to wine, Jesus revealed that his love and grace are given abundantly. So much so that there's plenty left over. In fact, so much so that I don't know that we have the capacity to even receive how much Jesus wants to give us. He wants to give love and grace. He wants to give it abundantly. But it's not just abundant love revealed in the mundane. It's an abundance of high quality love revealed in the mundane. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where to come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you've kept the best until now. It's high quality. It's the best stuff. Obviously, at a wedding ceremony, you serve the best wine first. There are a couple of ways that you could interpret why that is. Here's one. When you start eating and drinking at a meal... Your taste buds, they're just more sensitive. You know that. The first moment you take a bite is the best moment of that entire meal. After each bite or or each drink you take, you experience the law of diminishing returns, right? It might still taste good, but without giving your taste buds time to reset, it doesn't taste as good. You just get used to it. This is the case with any food. You know what I'm talking about. So the master of the ceremony expected this wine 
Late in the week, after everything had run out, had expected this wine to be of lower quality than what he'd already tasted. He was in for a surprise. It was delicious. Jesus didn't just create an abundance of wine. It was an abundance of great tasting wine. We just celebrated Valentine's Day, right? Well, some of us did. Maybe you forgot, right, Calvin? Maybe you need to, like, now's your chance to, like, redeem yourself. Yeah, clue. Valentine's Day was a couple weeks ago. I'm sure Calvin did something. Melon, um, I won't go any further. Valentine's Day, we all celebrated maybe Valentine's Day, or you know that it passed. When you start getting close to Valentine's Day, you start to see all these, these memes online. Right? Two or three weeks out, you see, start to see all these things. It pops up on social media left and right, and they're hilarious. I wish that I'd remembered to actually capture this one because it stuck out to me, but it said something like this. Nothing says, I was shopping for your Valentine's Day gift 10 minutes ago at the grocery store like a box of chocolates. There's a little bit of truth in there, right? Now, listen, I'm a terrible, terrible, terrible gift giver. It takes me months to get gifts. Thankfully, there's something that I can run and grab at the grocery store in those moments when I've forgotten. So this is kind of convicting for me. But a box of chocolates, it kind of used to be the standard, right? Chocolates into flowers. Used to be the standard, but times have changed. And you kind of realize that a box of chocolates and flowers, you can literally just go to Walmart and get it. And I have to say that um, because I'm a bad gift giver, maybe this stood out to me a little bit more, but if I get flowers and chocolate every year for my wife, my wife will very much appreciate it. Look, she likes chocolate and she likes flowers. She's grateful to get that on Valentine's Day. But if I arrange for somebody to watch the kids, if I plan a nice evening out and we get dressed up a little bit and we go to that restaurant that she's been talking about, that she wanted to go to, she's going to appreciate that a little bit more. She's going to know that I put a little extra effort into that, right? The event is of higher quality than a box of chocolates and some flowers. Now, I better get the box of chocolates and flowers. Let's be honest. That better be a part of the whole package. But if I do something more, my wife just appreciates it. It's a higher quality moment. And that's what Jesus gave in this moment. He gave high quality love. So here's what Jesus did by turning water to wine at the wedding celebration. He revealed himself as one who abundantly gives high-quality love even in the mundane, even in those expected moments. And the disciples saw this. They're amazed at how Jesus revealed his glory, and they believed in him. Not just because Jesus could do some kind of parlor trick, that he could turn water into wine, even though that was cool. but because he revealed himself as one who abundantly gives high-quality love even in the mundane moments of life. People notice when you do the same, right? People notice when you go above and beyond. When you go above and beyond again and again, when you go above and beyond again and again in moments that matter to them. People notice. You know, Daryl doesn't really care that much about football. Not the NFL anyway, right? And I know that, and Daryl knows that. But during the season, he would text me the, the score of games when the 49ers had won. He didn't text me when they lose. Much appreciated. But he would text me after they'd won the game. He made an effort to be aware of something that I cared a lot about. I love football. I care a lot about the 49ers. Why? I don't know. 
but I do. I just always have. And he understood that this thing that made no difference to him mattered to me. And he went above and beyond again and again in something that was pretty mundane. One of the most selfless things I think that we can do is abundantly give high quality love to others, even in those moments. We can find out what matters most to the people around us. We can get a little creative. We can go above and beyond again and again. I was talking to somebody actually just this week, and we weren't talking about this message, but she mentioned that she had gotten this call from somebody that she hadn't talked to in years. And she was going through something. I think her, her husband was, had cancer, was dying. It was something pretty intense. She hadn't talked to this woman. She called this woman up and said, you were kind to me years ago. Do you have a moment to talk? An abundance of high-quality love in probably mundane moments impacted this other woman years later. And they've had conversations. She's been helpful to this woman going through something pretty intense. So how will you do the same this week? I'm going to invite the worship team up, and they're going to get settled. I'm going to pray here in a moment as well. But first, this is what's kind of the key thing. First, we have to receive the abundance of high-quality love that Jesus offers to us. If you haven't received that, it's available. It's here. Jesus waits with open arms in moments like these to, re to receive you, to give you an abundance of this high-quality love. Doesn't matter what's happened in the past. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how well you know Jesus. He's there and ready to offer that love. And once you've received that love, then look for opportunities to abundantly give that same high quality love to other people, even in the mundane. We first receive from Jesus, and then out of receiving that love from Jesus, we give to others. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we close? Jesus, thank you so much for these moments. Moments that we can gather and we can reflect on this first sign. The sign of turning water to wine, which is pretty amazing in and of itself, but there's so much deeper meaning for us to find in what you've done. And as we witness this sign, as we read this story, as we see that disciples in those early days saw you turn water to wine and put their faith in you, I invite those who are present here now who are looking to put their faith in you to do the same. For those of us who have faith in you, God, this is an opportunity for our faith to grow, for us to receive more of your high-quality, abundant love in mundane moments. Help us to look for you in those moments and to give that same love to others who need it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.